Welcome to The Faith Retriever, fetching the good news for your family, a show that deepens our relationship with Jesus Christ by connecting listeners with the local church. Now, here's Deacon Eric Page. Hello and welcome to The Faith Retriever with Deacon Eric Page. Today we are going to be discuss with Father Stephen Rowan how to be better hearers of the Word at Mass in this new liturgical year. Father Stephen Rowan, a priest of the Archdiocese of Seattle, has served as a professor of English and administrator at Seattle University, the University of Portland, and Carroll College in Helena, Montana. When he was superintendent for Catholic schools and vicar general for the Archdiocese of Seattle, Father Rowan served as founding chair of the Fulcrum Foundation, which provides tuition assistance and support for Catholic schools. He now teaches courses at Mount Angel Seminary. Thank you so much for being with us, Father Rowan. Oh, you're most welcome, Deacon Eric, and I'm very happy to be invited. Father Rowan, at the start of each liturgical year, a teacher like you speaks to the priests and deacons of the Archdiocese to help us prepare as homeless for the liturgical year to come. This year we're in cycle A, which means that we will be hearing the gospel according to Matthew. When you prepared your presentation this year, were there particular things that were going on either in the world at large or in the Archdiocese of Seattle that influenced what you addressed in your presentation? Well, uh, yes, there were, uh, very much so. It's, as you know, every time you, you preach, you're always aware of a context. The word, in effect, uh, changes its impact depending upon what is happening, where people are, and what's on their minds and in their hearts. Well. I had in mind that uh, the coronavirus had been disrupting church attendance and pastoral services generally for over two years. That was one part of the context, but even before then, the church had already been challenged by Pope Francis to bring the joy of the gospel, as he called it, uh, to people in the modern world who either had never encountered it before or who had just stopped believing in it for some reason. And finally, uh, just in this past year, as part of the process of going forth as a, in a missionary spirit to the world, uh, Pope Francis was inviting the church around the world to take stock of what we Christians needed to do in order to accompany people, uh, to make the gospel heard and better understood. Part of what he's been saying since he wrote The Joy of the Gospel in his first year. Now, as it happens, Matthew's Gospel is assigned to be read at the Sunday Masses throughout the coming year, 2023. And this Gospel ends with the great commission of Jesus to go forth to all the world and to preach the good news. So, uh, the missionary impetus of Pope Francis and the Gospel of Matthew seem to fit the present moment very well. So, that was what was on my mind. I said, what better opportunity do we have in the coming year when we are looking at how to become better missionary disciples than to be reading the gospel that commissions us to do that very mission? Uh, that's very appropriate. It's kind of helpful for us to know that, to know that the preachers that we're listening to have heard this framing that you've offered, and they're thinking about that too, so we can be in step with them. In your presentation, you mentioned that Matthew's gospel locates Jesus in the story of Israel. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means? Matthew's Gospel, Eric, uh, locates Jesus within the human family, but specifically within the people of Israel. The first people who received the covenant, or what we call the promises of God. Matthew begins his whole Gospel with the words, 
the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So it's very clear that to understand Jesus according to Matthew, you need to know promises that were made, first of all, to Abraham. That uh, th this ancestor, I should say, of Jesus will also be the father of many nations. And then King David, the shepherd king, will have a descendant who will shepherd not only Israel, but all of the nations on their way to God. And that God will also be keeping these promises to the people of Israel, despite the failure of the people to be faithful to God. Mm. Now, ultimately, as we know from the Gospel of Matthew and all of the Gospels, the death of Jesus on trumped up charges of blasphemy and claiming to be a king would be overturned by his resurrection. The verdict of human judgment against Jesus was overturned by God's judgment that Jesus is indeed the righteous one. He is indeed the son of David, the son of Abraham, and the son of God. So one of Matthew's favorite phrases throughout the whole gospel is this was done or this was said by Jesus to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets, that the life of Jesus is one long meditation on how the promises made to Israel are being kept in Jesus. He's, you might say, the whole point of the story of God's promises and his whole covenant with humanity. So we, we look to Jesus and we see fulfillment, we see joy, and, and we see his identity as one of the people as well as son of God. So um, you have to understand the context of, of Israel's history, all of its ups and downs and all of the failures and also redemptive moments if you were to understand what Jesus is working with in his ministry. He is taking up that whole history in himself and fulfilling the promises that were made by God in that history. It's very exciting. It is. And so the whole story of Israel is feeding into this moment. So exactly. It's kind of appropriate that Matthew uses the first gospel. So it's like the hinge from you know the Old Testament leading into the new. Exactly. That, exactly. That's beautiful. You know, one of the things you mention in your presentation is how mountains play a really important role in Matthew. And can you tell us a little bit about why Matthew uses mountains and why there's such they play such an important role in what Jesus is doing in this gospel. Well, yes, mountains are certainly important in Matthew's gospel. And I think there's a good reason for that. I mean, looked at from a distance, mountains can seem like the meeting place between the sky and the earth. If you just look at the mountain ranges on any clear northwest morning, uh, you can see the ridges of the mountains and you can get that impression that they're reaching up from the earth and they're touching the sky. They're rooted in the earth, they're touching the clouds. And those clouds veil sometimes the summit of the mountain. There's a certain degree of mystery here. You don't see you know, the whole mountain, but you can see where it's going. It's reaching into uh, the sky, reaching into the world above. And that's why they're an image of a place that joins God and humanity. They are the, the joining point. Right. So in the Old Testament, Mount Sinai as a mountain is where Moses gives the law. God has, you might say, uh, touched the people through Moses by giving them the law, and it is given appropriately enough on a mountaintop. 
which reaches up to heaven and heaven reaches down to earth. So for Matthew, Jesus is shown on a mountaintop teaching the Beatitudes. And this is how uh, Matthew sets it up in chapter five. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, which is the position of a teacher, his disciples came to him. So they're coming up the mountain to be with him. And he began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, this message is coming to you from on high, so to speak. It's coming to you from the mountain's summit. And it's coming to you from the mouth of the authoritative teacher who, like Moses, is giving you the new law from the mountaintop. For Matthew, Jesus is the new Moses. He's authoritatively uh, teaching the law, which the Jewish people had received from Moses, but now Jesus is interpreting in in new ways, mostly emphasizing the priority of the commandment to love, Mm -hmm. the, the relative value of the ritual purity laws and the dietary laws. All of this is relative to mercy, not sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's where the authoritative teacher wants the emphasis. Um, so it's on a mountaintop later in Matthew's gospel that Jesus takes some privileged disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they witness his transfiguration, his revelation, if you will, um, as the one to whom they should be listening. A voice from the clouds uh, tells these disciples, listen to him. That, that's the main message they get. Right. And Jesus himself, as he is being transfigured before him, his face is brighter, his cloth, clothes are shining. He is surrounded in conversation with Moses, mm-hmm. who represents the law, and Elijah, who represents the whole tradition of the prophets. Right. So he's again the center of the story. He's the point of the story. He's in conversation with all of the major tributaries to the story. Right. And he is witnessed by his disciples for a good reason, because they're going to be commissioned later. Uh, so they got to see this. Right. <laughs> they, have to yeah. rec- they have to recognize him as the center of the story. And at the end of the gospel, uh, so we had the, in the beginning the Sermon on the Mount, then the Mountain of the Transfiguration, and now at the, at the very end of Matthew's gospel, in, in chapter 28, they go up a high mountain, And it's while they are up a high mountain that Jesus gives them their commission. And that is to go forth and to preach the good news, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This commission, again, being given from the mountaintop, where you can expect the divine and the human to be meeting and communication to be taking place. So... um, Yes, there's a great deal in Matthew's gospel about mountains, uh, not just for scenic purposes, but for um, very important theological reasons, you know, for proclaiming the significance of who Jesus is and what he is saying and what it means for us. So we're seeing this very powerful image of, you know, the story of Israel is flowing into the human story and these people who are being led to the mountaintop to receive the message, and there's, there's going to be a point to all of this, and that seems to be very much a theme in Matthew's Gospel. Yes, very much so, and it's also a theme of fulfillment. Mm. Uh, if people yearn for fulfillment, they yearn for righteousness, they learn for how they are to stand before God and, you know, in, a, in the right way, right. well, they can look to the authoritative teacher and they will 
understand you know, much better what that is. Right. Well, this is helpful in getting a sense of what we're going to be hearing over the course of this year and preparing ourselves to receive it. So, well, thank you so much for this first segment, Brother Rowan. We'll look forward to picking up with, in our next segment with the Faith Retrievers. We look at the Gospel according to Matthew and preparing to hear Cycle A in the year to come. You're listening to Faith Retriever with Deacon Eric Page. We'll get back to the conversation right after this short break. A prayer for God to be in my head. God be in my head and in my understanding. God be in my eyes and in my looking. God be in my mouth and in my speaking. God be in my heart and in my thinking. God be at my end and my departing. Amen. Prayer on behalf of one's enemy. Almighty God, have mercy on my enemies and all who bear me evil will and would do me harm and on their faults and mine together. By such easy, tender, merciful means as your own infinite wisdom can best devise, vouchsafe to amend and redress and make us saved souls in heaven together where we may ever live in love together with you and your blessed saints. O glorious Trinity, for the better passion of our sweet Savior Christ. Amen. Faith Retriever is back with Deacon Eric Page and his special guest. Sit, listen. Hello again, this is Deacon Eric Page speaking with Father Stephen Rowan about how we can become better hearers of the word this year. And we are picking up where we left off from our last conversation, Father Rowan, where you were talking about some of the things you shared with the priests of the archdiocese and the deacons of the archdiocese. And we're talking about some of the things that we can think about so that we can be better hearers. One of the points I appreciated in your presentation was how parables function in the gospel, that they are a particular type of story with a particular purpose. Can you share a little bit about how a parable works and why Jesus liked to teach in parables? Well, yes, uh, it's a long topic, but I'll try to be as uh, you know, uh, brief as I can be, uh, given our you know, time constraints here. But a parable, uh, sometimes it's confused with a fable, such as we would hear from, from Aesop, or some kind of short story that has a moral to it. So the famous example would be the tortoise and the hare. So the, the, uh, the, the tortoise is slow and plodding. He's in a race with the hare, who is overconfident, thinks, oh, I've far outpaced the tortoise. I can just take my, my leisure and rest on the side of the road. Well. Of course, the tortoise keeps going, the hare is napping on the side of the road, and the moral of the story is slow and steady wins the race. And what could be more, you know, might say, obvious? And, and that's what a fable is like. It reinforces what we already know. Right. Now, a parable is, unlike a fable, much more strange, and it causes us to wonder, well, what's going on here? Yeah. And starts getting us to ask questions about, you know, what we would think of this strange situation, and maybe even to come to a judgment about it. So just to take an example, in Matthew's Gospel, it's chapter 18, verse 10, um, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the need for them to go out and to seek what is lost, especially you know, among those who are young and vulnerable. And he begins by saying, well, what is your opinion? 
So you notice a parable is always asking you to come to a judgment here. What is your opinion? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, will he not leave the 99 in the hills and go in search of the stray? Well, the first thing you want to say is, well, who would? I mean, <laughs> right. you know, I, why would I go after you know one when right. I, I am in danger of losing 99? It's right. deliberately strange. Yeah. But the attitude of the diligent shepherd is you know, to have everybody included, not to, you might say, ignore the weak or the one who's gone lost, but to count on the others to know, to stay where they are and to know, <laughs> to know what they're yeah. doing, but to go after that, to expend everything to go in search of the one. And another example of a, a parable, and it's, it's really very short parable, uh, is the one, for example, about you know, the mustard seed. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a person took and sowed in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, yet when full grown, it is the largest of plants. Now we ought to think about that. How can right. something so big come from so little? Right. Uh, we might take it for granted, but if you thought about it a while, it, 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 it's a marvelous thing yeah. that something so big could come from so small. And the parable that follows it, this is in chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel, is of the woman who had a batch of dough and she mixed in a little bit of yeast and the whole dough you know, becomes bigger than it right. ever was. Well, that's an allegory or a parable, it's a way of speaking about the church. Mm. That so much can from, come from so little. Isn't that marvelous? And shouldn't it give you hope? Right. It's not something you think about every day because it's not usual. But it's, it, it's, a, but it's a way of speaking to get you to think, to make a judgment, and in this case also to have hope. It's in chapter 13 that Matthew explains why Jesus spoke in parables. It was to fulfill what had been said through the prophets. Mm. You know, again, it's a fulfillment. He's speaking in a way that the prophets themselves would have applauded because, as they say in the Psalms, I will open my mouth in parables. I will announce what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. Great mysteries mm -hmm. are to be expected from these strange parables, and that fulfills the hope of the prophets. It's a, it's a one, that's why Jesus speaks in parables. That's powerful. I mean, it's, again, we have this image of the whole story of Israel. Things are flowing to this critical point. They're flowing to this meeting place. And it, on a certain level, it makes sense. We wouldn't expect that we're, if we're leaving the ordinary places of the earth and going to a, a mountaintop with some God who's come to us, that it would be entirely what we would expect. Jesus does not tell you what you expect, but what you need to know. That is a good way to look at the gospel. Well, that's very helpful, Father Rowan. And in your presentation, you pointed out that in Matthew's gospel, Jesus can be seen in the words of St. John Paul II as the stable center of the mission that God has given to each person in the world. Can you give an example of what this means and what, why it's so important for hearing the gospel that Jesus is that stable center of of that God has given to each person in the world. Sure, I think uh, you know it, it's. I'm I'm so grateful for John Paul II's first encyclical, which was Redemptor Hominis, the, mm -hmm. the the Redeemer of humanity, in which he invites us to see Jesus as the center. He calls him the stable center. He's not going away. Uh, he's the stable center of the mission. 
that God has given to everyone in the world. So we are to be like Christ in the world. Well, what is the mission? Well, you look to what Jesus said and did you, in order to learn from him what it is that we are to do through imitation, mm -hmm. not always in a literal way, but by analogy. What, what are we going to do or say that are going to be like what he did and said? Because he's the cue. Uh, right. He's the uh, central point of the mission. So if Jesus is doing a work of mercy, so should we. Mm. And if he is speaking with compassion and wisdom, so should we, in whatever situation that may be. A uh, very short example is from the eighth chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel. When Jesus came down from the mountain, this is after the Sermon on the Mount, great crowds followed him. And then a leper approached him, did him homage, and said, Lord, if you wish, you can make me clean. He stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I will do it. Be made clean. And so there is compassion in his reaching out, touching the man who was technically untouchable, mm -hmm. and telling him he wills, his will, what is deepest, you might say, uh, within him, is that the man be made clean. And so, and so it happens. So he is the stable mission of what we can be doing to anyone who, like that leper, is in need of the outreaching hand and the compassionate word. Got it. That makes sense. So we look to him as our focal point. So Father Rowan, during your presentation, you mentioned that preachers and people in general, the listeners, us, would benefit from doing an existential reading of the gospel. Can you tell us what you mean by this, what an existential reading of the gospel means? Well, existential is obviously a, a big word, though we do speak about something being an existential threat, whether it's climate change or something else. Uh, and that means that it impinges on, it touches the very depths of our existence, of who it is uh, that we are and what we're doing in the world. So an existential reading is one that applies whatever is happening to who we are and what we are about as persons. So it invites us in this case to read the gospel, not as just an artifact, if you will, of some past event, mm -hmm. some record of something that occurred centuries ago, but rather to hear the word as it addresses us today and concerns our own existence um, by analogy. Mm -hmm. So. For example, to take a, an, a, a very you know, you know, example that uh, I spoke of actually when I gave the preaching of the lectionary talk, the call of Matthew that Jesus gives uh, is, is a powerful example. Uh, here, here's how it goes in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, uh, uh, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, so we have a transition, he saw a man, so his gaze was riveted, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the custom post. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. That's just about two verses from Matthew's gospel. Mm -hmm. But what you do have to focus on is Jesus, who seems to come out from nowhere, unexpectedly passing through, sees a man. So already Matthew is selected out of a group He's made less anonymous. He's much more in the story now. And he saw Matthew, and Matthew was sitting at the customs post. His job was to collect taxes. He's sitting there. And Jesus said to him, follow me. He gave him an invitation, 
And now, let's just pause there. What happens next? He got the invitation. Clearly, follow me. He got up and followed him. And so you don't take for granted that Matthew responded by what? Getting up. And then after he got up, he followed. In other words, from the position of sitting where he began, he ends up walking. And he is walking after Jesus. And so he's entering into the story that Jesus is now weaving about him through the calling of all kinds of disciples and through the healings and the works of mercy that he's doing and the teachings that he's giving. Matthew is now going to be part of something significant having been called into it because he responded to it. Right. So you hear that story of Matthew and you realize, you know, I too could have a much more exciting, engaged, meaningful mm-hmm. life if I were to respond to the call of God within that life yeah. to get up and to become, in my own way and in my own time, a missionary disciple. Got it. So it's as if we are in that place of Matthew. You are in the story. And we're hearing that call and we're being asked, are you going to get up and are you going to follow? Exactly. That's exciting. You know, and it ties in a little bit with this other, you know, question that comes naturally that you referenced as we got started, which is why does Matthew emphasize so strongly the great commission at the conclusion of his gospel? Well, of course, the conclusion of any work is, is, is one where you want a great emphasis to come in. This is what the whole gospel has been leading up to, uh, from the commission of the disciples uh, to follow him, to now go forth and to do what he has done throughout the whole world. Uh, Again, as we saw, this commission takes place on a mountaintop. Right. It means that it has great significance. And the disciple who has learned and absorbed and contemplated the master teacher then goes forth and does in the disciples time and place what the master was doing uh, in his and had taught them to do. Uh, And this is especially to be done through words and and deeds of mercy. Um, And in that commission, there is one more reason for confidence. And that is when Jesus says, what was also said about Jesus himself at the beginning of the gospel, I am with you, Emmanuel. You are to be like Christ in the world, but have confidence, do not be afraid. I am with you and there's plenty to do for all of us. That's beautiful, I love it. And so in some ways, as we look at this gospel over the course of this year, each Sunday we're coming up to a bit of a mountaintop. We're going to be receiving a command. We're gonna be told to follow and hopefully we'll take that guidance. You got it, Eric. (laughs) All right, well, thank you so much, Father Rowan. This has truly been a blessing. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to The Faith Retriever, and may God bless you in this week. Join Faith Retriever each week for conversations about the faith and tips to engage family in the truth, beauty, and goodness of God's Word. Find Faith Retriever here on Sacred Heart Radio. Search sacredheartradio.org for programs and podcasts, or listen on your favorite podcast platform.